The um, worst thing about outdoor service is that I really can't tell if you're awake or asleep or or anything because I can't see your eyes. Like most of you have sunglasses on, so you awake? Yeah, you good? That's better. That's better. Hey, I, here's what I'm going to try to do in the next 20, 25 minutes. I want to try to finish up the message that I started last week. So I think I can do that because I don't have to preach the whole thing. I preached half of it last week. So take your Bibles and open them up to 1 Peter, if you have your Bible, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to do my best up here with the wind blowing pages around and all that stuff. So I may look a little awkward and may look like I have all my hands full because I do. But um, we'll see if we can get there together. Hey, can you mute Gary's? Where you at? I think that's Gary's microphone. I don't know. All right. I think. I don't know. I hear the wind in something. So, okay. Then it's just me. All right. Sorry, Gary. I accused you and it was, it was me. I know. Yeah. I'm almost set, y'all. I'm almost set. First Peter chapter two. And remember uh, last week where we left off, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we were dealing with the subject of submission to authority, and particularly, so we've been working up to this and, and arrived there last week, submission to authority in the workplace. So let me read this for you again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Let me just stop there for a second and remind you that we, we, we have to acknowledge, we know that Peter was, in fact, definitely addressing the relationship between slaves and masters. But we also have to, to understand, oh my goodness, we also have to understand and, and remember that, that this discussion about slaves and masters is not the same context as we often think of the discussion of slaves and masters in our own Western mindset. Remember that from last week? Raise, I know you're not going to say it, so if you remember, raise your hand. All right, so really what we're dealing with here more appropriately for our own context is the relationship of the employee to the employer. I don't know what's going on, guys. It's, yeah, it's just the wind, so just bear with us. I'll try to shout as much as I can. So we're dealing with the relationship of the employee to the employer. Man, there we go. Uh, probably not because I got all this business. Y'all can hear me, right? All right, good. And this is miserable. It's probably beautiful out there. but All right. So last week we got through all that, and I ended last week by telling you that you can't be faithful. We, we cannot be faithful Christians if we go to work and we leave our faith at home. You remember that? That's where we left off last week, that our faith is not a private matter. And so here we have Peter talking about the one place outside the home where you spend the most time in the workplace. And he's saying that in that place, you're meant to live out your faith there just like you would anywhere else. Now, let's examine this and just see, I think, several things 
that we can say will help us to, to live out. How do we live out our faith at work? And I'm going to give them to you quickly. I might just preach rapid fire as long as the microphone works and my pages are still, still here in front of me. But I'm going to give you several things that will help you to live out your faith at work. And the first thing is the simplest thing. It's just what he says to begin with is to honor your employer. It's your duty. Listen, if you're going to live out your faith at work, it's your duty to honor your employer. By the way, employers, some of you are employers. Uh, there's a whole nother discussion in the Bible about you being good to your employees. That's for another time. But don't just think you get off the hook here, like you'll go share this with your employees tomorrow and tell them, hey, listen to what my pastor said. You've got to submit to me. So they do have to submit to your authority. But you also have to treat them good. You have to treat them in a way that honors Jesus. Now, Peter doesn't address that necessarily, but he does address us as the employees. And he says that we have to honor our employers. It's our duty as Christians to do that. Now, I want you to look at verse 18, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, just listen, because this is really important. Or Peter says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect or employees, Submit to your employers with all respect. But then listen to what he says here. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Notice that the character of your employer does not factor into whether or not you're called to submit to your employer. Did you catch that? It's so important because I think that we can get in our minds that we have this employer who's doing bad things are treating us poorly or he's doing things to us that 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 aren't good and we can get in our minds that for the sake of justice we should rebel we're not going to take this anymore you know take your job and shove it i'm not taking this anymore that, that can sometimes be our response to an unjust employer but he says not only to the good but also to the unjust you and maybe i would go as far as to say particularly to the unjust particularly the ones that treat you poorly. You have an obligation to treat them well and submit and honor them for the sake of the gospel. I'm sure that we've all had bad bosses. Have you ever had a bad boss? Anybody? Raise your hand if you had a bad boss. I can't hear you at all. I don't know if you're talking back or not, but I mean, we've all had some bad bosses. I had uh, one of the world's worst bosses in North Carolina. I can remember one of the most abrasive people I've ever known in my life. I wish I could say his name. I'm not going to say his name, but his name was even abrasive. It's weird how sometimes you live up to your name. You know, we all used to laugh because his name really fit his character and, and the way that he treated us. He was just an abrasive, abrasive guy. He lied to customers. Uh, he encouraged us. to. He would tell us to lie to the customer when something was going wrong. He would just say, just lie to them. Tell them whatever you need to do to get them to pay you. He would, he would do things like that. He treated his employees like garbage. He would come out to the job site sometime when the inspectors were there, and he would degrade us and say awful things about us in front of the inspectors. For some reason, I don't know if it made him feel better. You know, but what am I supposed to do with a boss like that who, who treats us poorly at every single opportunity? What do you do with a guy like that? Well... You really, in our context, have two choices. Either go get another job or honor him. 
honor him and treat him the way that the scriptures tell us to treat him. Treat him with reverence. Treat him with respect. You notice there in verse 18, or I had to close my Bibles. It might be verse 19. It says that we're to submit in verse 18 to your masters with all respect. Another way to translate that word respect is fear, but it doesn't mean fear like you're afraid of something. It means to have a healthy fear of disappointing someone. So it's not that you're afraid of them. It's that you're afraid of doing wrong to them for the sake of honoring them. You don't want to do anything that wrongs your employer. So the first thing you're going to do if you want to take your faith to work with you is honor your employer, no matter if he's good or bad. Honor your employer. And then next, do your work to please God and not to please men. It's the second way you take your work. Look at verse 19, where it says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. If you have your Bibles, I don't know how many of you actually have them this morning, but if you do, you might want to underline mindful of God there. Because in all of these three instances where Peter tells us to submit to authority, he tells us that the context of our submission is ultimately that we want to please God. Look at verse 13 if you have it. If not, just listen, where he talks about being subject to the government, being subject to human institutions. He says that we be subject, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. You do it for the Lord's sake. And then he gets to the next discussion about submission in the workplace. And he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. It's the same principle. You're thinking about God, not men. And then even next week, we'll be down here to deal with this. But even when we get to submission in marriage and the relationship of the wife to the husband, where Peter says in verse Chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And then he goes on down into verse 4, and he says that this in God's sight is very precious. So in all three instances, he says that we submit because it's our duty to please God first. And God calls us to submit to the governing authorities. God calls us to submit in the workplace and God calls for submission in marriage. So remember that you're doing your work for God and not men. I, I love this, uh, this quote from William Barclay. Listen to what he says when he says, in the Christian ideal, work is not done for an earthly master or for the personal prestige or to make so much money. Listen to that again. Work for us as Christians is not done for an earthly master, for personal prestige, or to make so much money. It is done for God. It is, of course, true that a man must work in order to earn a wage, and he must work to satisfy a master. But beyond that, there is for the Christian the conviction that his work must be done well enough to be able to show it to God without shame. For us as Christians, our work has a direct relationship to pleasing God. Paul said, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Everything you do, you know, that can completely change everything about your attitude in the workplace. You realize that? 
Like if you have a horrible boss, you know, I had that horrible boss that I talked about. I've been blessed in, in so many other ways uh, to have good bosses throughout my life, but that one guy was really awful. And the only way that I could endure that every day was to tell myself on the way into work at about a 30-minute drive into the office every morning, and I would pray. And one of the things that I would have to remind myself as I was pray on the way in to work each day is, Lord, help me to remember that I'm working for you and not for him. I'm doing my work for you and not for this guy. I want to please you and not please this man. And that will help you. That will help you be able to do work. Even think about the, the task some of you, some of you young people are going to get jobs. You're going to find out very soon as you enter the workplace that you're entering pretty low on the totem pole. You have to do some pretty dirty work. You have to do some hard work. Some of you adults are in jobs where you're doing some stuff that you don't want to do. You're doing some stuff that maybe you feel like honestly might even be a little bit beneath you. But you can change your attitude about that if you'll just remember that everything you're doing is for the Lord. I could, I could clean toilets for the Lord. I don't want to clean toilets. But if I have to, I can get it in my mind that I'm going to do this to please God. I can mop floors. I can take out trash. I can cut grass. I can do whatever. I could do it for the Lord. Whatever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord. Peter says that every way we submit, we submit because we want to please God first. So when you take your faith in the workplace, you you do it by realizing that you're there to please God and not men. That'll help you. And then third, utilize every opportunity in the workplace to share Christ with those around you. The way you take your faith to work with you. Now, what I don't mean necessarily, you might be in a, in a position or in a situation where you can do this. I don't mean necessarily that you should evangelize every person at work that that you should only walk around and, and say you know handing out tracts or or saying hey let me take a minute and tell you about jesus now if you have the opportunity to do that by all means do it you should do it but really what i'm getting at here is just live in such a way that people see christ in you in the workplace and eventually eventually if you live a consistent life a life that pleases christ a life of submission a life of of hard work pleasing God and not men, people will see a difference in the way you carry yourself. And eventually that will open up opportunities for you to be able to share Christ with people. Use your example. We don't always preach with words. Amen. In fact, I'd say that your words mean nothing unless your life is seen to be a good example of what it means to follow Jesus. If you're not living up to your faith, Don't bother talking about your faith. So take your faith to work for you. Preach with your life. Share Christ with your life. Look at verse 19 again if you have your Bibles. He says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And now so he's going to have this discussion about submission in the context of that unjust boss, that unjust master who is treating you poorly. He's going to say, now in that situation, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. He says, what good is it when you suffer if you endure? But, or I'm sorry, what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? 
But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, brothers and sisters, let me, let me say something that's totally contrary to a lot of popular 21st century American Christian thought. What Peter's saying explicitly here is that it is God's will for you at times in your life to suffer. You hear that? If you ever run across a preacher, teacher, television evangelist, somebody on WAVA, you hear them preaching or teaching and they're telling you that you're a child of the living God, that, that you're a royal priesthood, that God would not allow his children or his priests to suffer. It's not God's will for you to suffer. Let me say this to you. That's wrong. That's not biblical. And here I can show it to you. I can show it to you in the clearest of terms here, where he says in verse 20, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So this is an act of grace in your life that you're suffering. And then verse 21, for to this you have been called. To what? To what have you been called? To suffer unjustly. To suffer for no good reason. Let's, let's apply that to so many things this morning, not just in the workplace, but man, we could branch out a hundred directions with that, couldn't we? Has anything ever happened to you in life? And it just hit you like a ton of bricks. And you said to yourself, God, why in the world would this ever happen to me? What, where did this come from, God? You, you sometimes are called to suffer. And the ultimate reason, verse 21, and I'm in trouble because I can't see without my glasses, and I can't see because my eyes are watering right now. So y'all can pray for me because I'm like nearly blind right now. I'm not even joking. I can't see. Verse 21. Oh. I think the Lord's, this is like a living illustration. I'm suffering right now. For to this you have been called. Here it is, listen. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. If ever there was a verse that put to death the idea that God's people don't suffer, that's the verse. Christ suffered and left an example for you so that when you suffer for no good reason, when you suffer unjustly at the hands of unjust men, you have an example to follow, that you could follow in his steps. And then here's... His example. And Peter just begins to echo Isaiah 53. Listen to this. What a beautiful passage of Scripture where he turns from application in our life and how we should live in the workplace to the application of what Christ has done for us and the motivation for us to live this way in the workplace. He left us an example. Verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. That's our example, brothers and sisters. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Amen? You who were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. So Christ leaves us an example that suffering at the hand of unjust men gives us an opportunity for people to see what God is doing in us. Your character in the face of suffering in the workplace, bad bosses, awful co-workers, your character can say more about your faith than any words that you say. The way you endure suffering can say more about your faith than any words you could possibly say. You know, I, I talk about that bad boss I had in, in North Carolina, and, and uh, I, I went to work every day for that guy. One time I quit. I'll tell you all, to tell you the truth, I quit one time. He was so awful. One time I went in on Friday to get my paycheck, and uh, he had taken about 75% of my paycheck. Just took, he backcharged me. My own boss backcharged me for something my helper did. Took about 75% of my paycheck. And so I went into his office Monday morning, turned in my credit cards and all my work keys and everything, all my paperwork. And I just said, I can't work for you anymore. I don't think this was right. I wasn't mean. I wasn't mad. I didn't, I didn't swear at him. I didn't treat him badly. I just said, I can't work for you anymore. I don't think we're going to be able to get along. And so I left, and a couple weeks later, he called me and asked me to come back. And I went back because I couldn't make money anywhere else. So I went back, and I and, uh, just continued to try to honor him to do what was right with that guy. And when I went off to pastor my first church, I had been gone for about six months or so, I think, and Denise and I went back to North Carolina to visit some friends, and I had to go to the seminary for some things. And I got up early one morning, I drove over to the office, like 6.30 in the morning, to try to get there and see all the guys. And I got there, and the only person that was there, guess who? That, that guy, that, that boss of mine, he was the first person there. Nobody had arrived yet. And I thought, oh man, the one guy I didn't want to see. And he saw me and came out, got on the loading deck and called me over. He said, Brian, what are you doing here? And, and we started to talk. And, you know, he, he took me in his office. He gave me a hat. I mean, I don't know why, but he gave me a hat. And um, I think he gave me like a, a, a thermal cup or something that had our company on it. And uh, as the guys came in, he took me to every loading dock and said, hey, look who's back. And, and he said, Brian's back. And, and he's, he said, you know, he's, he's pastoring a church up in West Virginia now. And, and he's back in town for a conference, and he just and he was so kind to me. And before I left, he asked me, "Hey, how are things going for you?" And I told him things were going pretty good. And he said, "Man, it's really, really cool to know what you're doing with your life now. Really respect that." That's all he said. Now you might say that's not a a big deal. I think there's the only kind words he ever said to me was that day. But I think to myself, and I thought a couple weeks ago when I was writing this message. 
I wonder, maybe I'm the only guy, the only professing Christian, because I was certainly the only one in the shop. Maybe I was the only guy that he ever really got to know personally. And I wonder if there's a seed there that one day, one day could bear some fruit for the gospel just because I chose to honor him and I chose to submit to him. When he yelled at me, when he put me down in front of customers and in front of inspectors and other things, when he did those things and I just submitted to him and honored him and I didn't revile, I didn't answer back, I didn't swipe back at him when he swiped at me, I wonder if that seed will ever bear fruit. I don't know. But I know had I responded in a worldly way, I would have ruined any opportunity I had to show him Jesus. You take your faith to work with you. Honor your employer. Please God and not men. And realize that this is an opportunity. Take every opportunity, every relationship you have, but, have, but particularly in the workplace, utilize it as an opportunity to share Christ with people. Follow Jesus' example and show them what God's doing in your life. and Maybe that seed will bear fruit one day. So take your work with you. Your work, take the title of the message, I think originally was your work is bigger than your work. Your work is bigger than your work. It's an opportunity for people to hear the gospel, to see the gospel, and to know Jesus.